Good morning and welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. We are so glad that you are here to worship the Lord with us this morning. Would you stand and let's declare this together, that every perfect gift comes from our Father above. We sing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of love. Sing it out together. And teach me some melody, song, some thy flaming tongues above. Praise the mountain fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. We remember his faithfulness together. And here I raise my Ebenezer, here by thy great hope I come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to fellowship. It's great to see y'all and happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there and uh, dads to be and father figures out there. We are so excited um, to celebrate with you guys today. Hey Robin, how are you? My name is Matt Archer and this is Robin Yates. Um, one of my greatest joys in life is being a dad. And my boys actually got me this shirt last year. They told me I had to wear it on stage today and I didn't think it was probably best. Um, it just says, have a Shrek-tastic Father's Day with the jankiest picture of Shrek. Um, and I love it. And I told them I would bring it out with me, but I probably wouldn't wear it. Um, I don't know if it would look good in the pictures for the parent-child dedication. Um, but one of the things that brings me a ton of happiness um, is knowing that my father um, led us well with our family. Um, 
this past week, we celebrated my dad's 23rd heaven birthday. He passed away 23 years ago this past week. And while I celebrate that, and I know he's with Jesus, and also I miss him every day. And so for those of y'all who have lost a father um, or a son or a father figure, we also grieve with y'all today um, as, as, we, uh, as we walk through what can be a hard day for some um, and what is sometimes a hard day for me. Um, one of my favorite things about being a dad is the opportunity to tell good dad jokes. And so um, I got a couple for you today. My, my kids don't really appreciate them as much as they should. Um, they take great pride in pointing out um, as soon as I'm doing a dad joke, I'll be like, hey, fellas. And they're like, dad joke time. And I'm like, oh, man, how do they know? And I'll say, hey, guys, be careful about dating a tennis player because love means nothing to them. I'll be like, come on. They don't appreciate it real well. Thank you, thank you. Or I'll say stuff like, hey guys, I went bald a long time ago, but I still keep my comb with me. I just can't part with it. So, see, thank y'all, thank you guys. Really appreciate it. Hey, um, one announcement, FSM is not having the kickball tournament. They've been doing a kickball tournament um, every Sunday afternoon. They are not doing that because of Father's Day. Um, so kids can spend time with their dear old dads. Um, they were gonna do a hide and seek tournament, but good players are super hard to find. And so, man, nailed that one. All right, all right. Hey, um, well, I think I'm done with my, I got my two minutes up. Um, now, one of um, my favorite things about being a dad is the opportunity to lead my family spiritually. And that is our first mission field as dads, is we, we want to raise our families to know and follow Jesus. So we get to celebrate two huge milestones um, in the lives of families today. We get to celebrate parent-child dedication and baptism. And so those are two of the, of the great milestones we get to have as families. And so Robin, I'm gonna turn it over to you. We're gonna do our parent-child dedication first. <laughs> it's really good. Um, hey, I'm excited. We get to um, do dedication several times a year here at Fellowship. And this morning, we, in each service, are going to get to dedicate both some children and their parents. So we're very excited about that. You know, I, in, in my personal Bible study, have been reading uh, through the Judges. Over your own children, your grandparents, or 
your grandchildren, but what a sweet way to just keep reminding them of who God is and helping them to grow, to come to know him. So that's what we're all about this morning with the dedication. So let's start with the phone. Drop. Your mic's not on. <laughs> Should we use, we can use this mic. He can use it. we go up here. Stealing it. Oh, look at that. That's servanthood right there, y'all. <laughs> yeah. Mickey's going to have to talk loud during his sermon. and goes to sleep without a fuss. He's our rainbow baby and has been every bit of joy and happiness that comes from new life. He adores his big brother, thinks our dog is hilarious, and loves to be held. We already see how his quiet demeanor can calm a room, and we pray for God to use it to influence others to his glory. We also this morning have Uli. Uli is inquisitive and silly. He has big feelings that are sweet, kind, loud, and hard. He loves trains, reading, biking, and racing. He likes to make up songs, ask questions, and push his boundaries. <laughs> He's sensitive and innocent, and we can already see how God has given him a heart for helping others. He remembers everything and loves to hear stories from a long, long time ago. If you're into ice cream and storytelling, he'll eat, no sharing, and listen. <laughs> Next, we have Ellie Hoskins, Ellie Jane. Jacob and Haley are her parents. They say Ellie lights up any room she's in. She has a tender heart and loves to bring joy to those around her. Making people laugh is her favorite thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> then we have Wyatt Stefanik. Wyatt's parents are Nick and Lauren, and Wyatt has a big sister, Evelyn. Evelyn. Wyatt is a sweet answer to our prayers and proof of the Lord's goodness and faithfulness in our lives. He loves to snuggle, eat, and watch all the action his big sister provides. We're thankful for his calm and easygoing personality and can't wait to see what the Lord has in store for him as he grows. 
This is awesome. Guys, this is the future of fellowship right here. So, man, um, these shoes are so cool. Those are awesome fits. Um, well, guys, I have a charge for you as parents, and then audience, I have a charge for you as the church. And so, um, parents, will you commit to praying for your children all the days of their life? Will you model a godly lifestyle for them? Will you live a life focused on God and his word? Will you train your children up in the way that they should go? And will you commit to a marriage focused on Christ and serving one another? If so, say we will. Right? In fellowship, you are the congregation. You are going to be their check-in leaders. You're going to be their small group leaders. You're going to be their snack organizers. You guys are going to be their community groups. Um, You guys are going to be the church to this family. And so I have a charge for you as well. Will you commit to praying for these children? Will you take this opportunity to encourage, serve, and invest in these children and all of our children here at Fellowship? If so, say we will. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for these kids. And Father, we pray for each of them that they would know and follow you, Lord. Father, we pray for um, Uli. And Lord, I ask that you would be near and real to him, Father. I pray, Father, that he would follow you and know, Father, that whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy, I pray that he would think about those things. And Lord, he would grow to be a man of peace. And Father, we pray for Fitz. And Lord, I pray that his roots would grow deep in you, Lord. I pray that his life would be built on you. And Father, he would grow into a man who loves you and follows you with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And Lord, we pray for Ellie Jane. I pray, Father, that she would be a person who acts justly, who loves mercy, and walks humbly with you, Lord. Father, I pray that she would be a woman of character and a woman of grace. And Lord, we pray for baby Wyatt. I pray, Father, that he would trust in you, Lord, like a tree planted by the water, Lord, that he would have roots that grow deep in you. And Father, that you would move mightily in him. Lord, we pray for all of these kids. I pray, Father, that they would grow into men and women who love you with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we celebrate them. Lord, I pray that your spirit would continue to remind us to be praying for them, to be encouraging them and investing in them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thank you guys so much. As the parents are taking their seats. If y'all could take out your phones and take a picture of this right here, we would love um, for you guys to be reminded to be praying for them. And we've got a next milestone um, in the lives of these families and the lives of these parents. And I'm going to turn it over to Jack Roberts and Sarah Bohannon right here. Good morning. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Good morning. Um, These are two of my kids. This is Mason and Hudson Wolf. And um, these precious boys lost their father when they were three and one years old. And um, 
this has been a day that I've prayed for as a mom because doing this alone is hard. And then when you have men that step in and become that figure, the bonus dad, the uncles, the grandfathers, the coaches, um, all the men that invest in them and let them see what it means to be a a godly man um, in this world. And so when we were looking at dates, Mason saw that this date was Father's Day and he wanted to do it today. So that's what we did. And although it's hard, um, I think it's a good testament to um, our God and how he provides and gives us what we need in life. And I can't wait to see what these boys do in life because I know God has big plans for them as he does all of my kids. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, this morning it was such a pleasure to watch them come in and say, hey, how are you guys doing? And usually kids are kind of nervous, but these two boys are literally like, let's go. I'm so, so pumped and so excited. And for me, it was refreshing. uh, And it was such a good reminder that a life with Jesus is really, really sweet and really, really exciting. And so these boys this morning get to profess their faith in Jesus. And so this is Mason. Mason, I'm gonna have you sit down for me, buddy. And I just got a question for you. And then I got a question for you guys, the church. How's it, you feeling good? Is it all right? Okay, good. He made a face up here. Okay. Mason, is it your story uh, that you've repented of your sin, that you've placed your faith in Jesus, and that you want to follow him all the days of your life? If so, say yes. yes. And then church, just like Matt said, you guys commit to walking alongside, to serve, and to encourage Mason in his walk with Jesus. If so, say I do. Well, then Mason, it is my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit buried with Christ in baptism, and raised to walk in the newness of life. All right, round two. This is Hudson. Hudson, I got a question for you. If you want to sit down for me, buddy. Is it your story, Hudson, that you've repented of your sin, that you've placed your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you want to follow him all the days of your life? If so, say yes. Yes. And then church, do you guys commit to walking alongside Hudson to encourage him and to, up, up, to uplift him in his walk with Jesus? If so, say, I do. All right, then Hudson, it is my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in the newness of life. Stand once again with us and sing of our Father above His goodness. And I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night in your tongue. That you're pleased and that I'm never alone. We see your good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am.
Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What a familiar passage for many of us this morning. But even though it's familiar, we can probably quote it. Don't let the words of this passage slip by so easily. But take a moment and be reminded God's presence with you, that God is for you, that we serve such a good, good Father, that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, He's with us, and continue to worship this morning as we sing. Thank you. 
remind myself of all that you've done in the life I have because of your son. Love came down and rescued me. Love came down and set me free.
take a moment just to think on that hope that we place in Him, the hope that we have in Christ.
power in the blood. There's power in your resurrection. We get to celebrate that as we come into this place, celebrate new life that we have because of you. We thank you for this time where you open your word to us. We pray that you'd open the eyes of our heart to hear what you would have to say and to teach us to trust that even though we walk through the darkest valley, you are with us. That you're all powerful. That you're sovereign, you're in control over life and death. We love you, we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The hope of heaven before me, the grave behind, just like Lazarus, you brought me back to life. Thank you, team. Thank you, Pat. Happy Father's Day to you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Happy Juneteenth as well today. You know, for I wish I had brought my T-shirt that I got this morning. Uh, my daughter's got me a, a Kiss World Tour concert thing from 1977. So I should have brought that. Uh, I don't know where you'd find something like that. But uh, anyway, that's what I got. Today, uh, we're going to broaden our scope just a little bit of Lazarus uh, from John chapter 11 as we study the seventh miracle. Now, we talked about this at Easter, but I, I just want to look a little bit more deeply and more broadly at the passages surrounding that. And so you can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11. That's that's what we're going to study. But first of all, just a little bit of an update. Did you realize that we have eight congregations under our umbrella of care here at Fellowship? And you can see them all there. Those are congregations that, I mean, they exist independently of one another, and yet they're all a part of Fellowship Bible Church of Northwest Arkansas. But there are two that I want to focus on this morning. Over the last few weeks, I have visited them, and I've been greatly encouraged. Uh, and we adopted them about a year ago and brought them under our umbrella. There's a QR code there that you can uh, add to your uh, list of whatever you do on your phone there. But you can find out more information about them. But Samaritan Church Rogers meets at 10 a.m. on Sunday on 102 Samaritan Community Center. And Samaritan Church Springdale meets in the Plaza Shopping Center uh, in North Springdale. There's a Harps there. It's just catty quarter from AQ Chicken. And they minister to the homeless. They minister to those who are less fortunate. And they are doing a phenomenal job. And if you have a heart for that kind of ministry, I would encourage you to visit them. Because as I was in both their service recently, I just thought, wow, they are doing a fantastic job. And uh, I thank God for them. So I, I wanted to update you on that so you could just visit them. It's all possible because of your generosity to God through fellowship. And so thank you for your generosity and for making it possible for these congregations to meet. There is a dinner in scripture that I would like to have been a part of. You find it in John chapter 12. And it's just a short time after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Now picture this. And they were having a dinner at Lazarus' house, the man who had been raised from the dead. They were having a dinner at his house in honor of Jesus. 
I would really like to have gotten in on some of those conversations or just been a fly on the wall listening as they asked Lazarus questions about, hey, what was it like on the other side? And asked Jesus questions about that. And I, just in my imagination, as I go back to that dinner in John chapter 12, and this is what it says, 12, 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. I can just imagine at some point, Lazarus pulling Jesus off to the side and saying, why did you bring me back? <laughs> Why did you bring me back? Because you see, according to the scriptures, there is nothing in this life that compares to what God has in store for those who believe in him. Amen? There is nothing in this life for us to hold on to compared to what he has in store for us. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, it's there on the screen for you. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Life in heaven should just compel us to dream about it. Even the healthy of us, healthiest of us and the youngest of us should long to see what God has prepared. And Lazarus tasted it tasted it just for a few days before Jesus brought him back to this world. But no, we fear death. We dread the thought of death. We don't like it. And so today I have some good news and some bad news for you. What do you want first? You want the bad news first, okay? Well, let's, let's go with the bad news. We're all going to die. That's the bad news. One out of one of us die. It's just the truth of it all. Hebrews 9, 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Boom. Remember that scripture because if someone brings up reincarnation to you, you can bring that up with them. The scripture says we die once, boom, and after that the judgment. You don't come back as a pug or a bug or a rug or someone else trying to get this whole thing right. And they just keep coming back until they get it right. No, it doesn't work like that. You die once after that, the judgment. It's a difficult thing for us to embrace, but it is. I remember my first uh, encounter with death. I was a little kid living over in East Arkansas, probably five years old. And, and my uncle Tip, uh, my grandfather's brother had passed away. And you gotta realize out there and back in those days in the 60s, they would prepare the body for burial and then they would take the casket back to the house. And people would sit up with the dead until it was time for the funeral. If you don't believe me, you look, look it up. They did it. They did it. And my Uncle Tip lived in a little farmhouse. It was uh, something like this. It was just a little farmhouse with a tin roof and a, and a big porch there. And that's where he lived. And, 
And, and so my dad rounded us all up and, and we were going to go to Uncle Tip's house uh, to be with the family. And so I remember pulling up to the house and seeing a yard full of kids and, and mosquitoes everywhere. And, and uh, we went into the house and I remember seeing an odd piece of furniture over in the corner. And my dad took me by the hand and, and led me over there to that odd piece of furniture. And he said, would you like to see Uncle Tip? Well, before I had a chance to process it or even answer, his hands went under my shoulders and picked me up. And there I was face to face with old Tip. And immediately my weight dropped. I wanted down. My feet were searching for the floor. I had encountered that and I didn't like it. I wanted out of that house. And immediately when my feet hit the floor, I ran, I hit that screen door and I didn't come back in the rest of the day. I remember my mother saying, come on in, get something to eat. Uh-uh. I'm not going back in that house. You see, as Christians, we often have that sort of perspective on death and it's not healthy. It's not healthy. Henry uh, or no, uh, uh, someone anonymous, I don't know who said this. Uh, there are a lot of people that take credit for it. He says, I'm not afraid of dying, but I just don't want to be there when it happens. But here's the good news. In Christ, we have a title deed to the hope of the resurrection. We don't have to fear death. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is a certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. It is the title deed to what is to come. For what God has prepared for us, no eye has seen, no ear has, has heard, no, no mind can conceive what God has prepared for those who love him. We have much to look forward to. The old hymn writer, Henry Francis Light, who wrote the poem that we sing as Abide With Me, wrote, Oh, there is nothing terrible in death, for Jesus steps down into the grave before me, and I have both peace and hope. So let's talk about this passage. I want to look at where Jesus was and where Lazarus was for just a moment. John chapter 10, verse 40, it says, Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days, and there he stayed, and many people came to him. And they said, Though John never performed a sign, all that Jesus said about this, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed. In Jesus. Now it can get confusing because there are two Bethanies near Jerusalem. And, and here we have it. There's one Bethany there to your left. Uh, that is the Bethany that's just over the Mount of Olives. It's a couple of miles from Jerusalem. And then there's one on over by Jericho, across the Jericho, uh, I mean, across the Jordan in Perea. It's just by Jericho and Gilgal and all that. If you've traveled to Israel with us, we go to this place called Bethabara or Kisarel Yehud. It's the place where the children of Israel likely crossed the Jordan River when they went into the promised land. It's the place where Elijah Pass the mantle to Elisha. It is likely the place where Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. It's, it's quite 
quite an experience to go to that place knowing how much history is there. And that's where Jesus had gone back to. That's where he is about 20 to 25 miles from Bethany that's near Jerusalem. It's about a day's walk, okay? So John chapter 11, one through three, let's look at that. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the one near Jerusalem. The village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. John is just indicating who this Mary was because we've got several, don't we, in the Gospels. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And so there's no doubt that Jesus and Lazarus were good friends. There was a relationship there between the two of them. In verse 4, when Jesus heard this, he said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus is saying to the disciples that death would not have the final say. And that's true for you and me as well. Death has been defeated. It does not have the final say for us. He would display his power and be glorified through it. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. It is very likely that Lazarus was already dead by the time the messenger reached him. And the disciples said, and he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. And that caused them to raise their heads. Rabbi, they said a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And yet you're going back? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Any who, anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. The, danger, the disciples knew the danger of going back to Judea. But Jesus illustrated to them the confidence that we have when we're walking in the light of God's will. We don't have to worry about what may happen to us. You see, the raising of Lazarus is going to be a pivotal point in the life of Jesus. When he raised Lazarus very publicly, all those Jews up in Galilee who are going to be making their way down for Passover to Jerusalem are going to travel through Bethany. A lot of them would. And they're going to make their way to Jerusalem and they're going to hear in Bethany how Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And they're going to think if, if he can raise someone from the dead, he can throw the Romans out and we'll be done with all this. But Jesus didn't come to deal with civic issues, did he? He came to seek and to save the lost as we find in Luke 19.10. But those Galileans who would come down for Passover, they are the ones who 
would camp on the Mount of Olives. There wasn't room for them in Jerusalem. They would camp on the Mount of Olives and they were the one who would wave the palm branches. They were the one who would throw their cloaks on the ground and say, Hosanna, God save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They weren't under the thumb of the leaders, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. In our suffering, we cry with the psalmist and, and with Mary and Martha, how long, O oh Lord, how long? But we've got to remember this. Remember this. In God's economy, God's timing is more important than time. God's timing is more important than time because it's perfect. Well, verse 11, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. They didn't get it. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought that he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe but let's go to him. You see, Jesus knew. He wasn't glad for Lazarus' sickness or that he died, but he had a superior perspective on both life and death. He knew that for a guy like Lazarus, death, Lazarus' death is a respite from the cares of this world and a new consciousness of the amazing world to come that he's prepared for us. Death didn't rattle Jesus. He had already raised at least two people from the dead in Galilee that we know about. And then there's Thomas, the doubter in verse 16. I love Thomas. Of all the disciples, I think I relate to him more than any of them, don't you? He was the Eeyore. He was the Eeyore, but he followed. He stayed with Jesus and he would be martyred at the end of his life for Jesus. He couldn't stop talking about him. So real and authentic. And so Thomas, then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. No, that's not Thomas' character. <laughs> I think Thomas was saying, we might as well go. He's going to get us all killed. <laughs> I think that's what Thomas was saying. I'm going to be faithful, but I'm going to die doing it. So they arrived in Bethany, verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. See, I told you. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. Remember, Martha is, she's the activist. She's the one who moved. Remember at, a, at another time when, when Martha was, was doing the dishes and preparing things and Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary was more contemplative, but, but Martha went out to meet him. She's a woman of action. And when she saw him, her words were not confrontational. Look at what she said. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. What is Martha saying to him? Martha is saying, I still believe in you. 
I still believe in you. They knew he could have healed Lazarus while he was sick. They believed that he could raise him from the dead. But, but at least her hope in, in reaching back into Daniel, where Daniel says, as for you, go your way till the end, you will rest. And then at the end of days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. She embraced that, if nothing else. But she's saying to him, I still believe in you. In verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, what we focused on at Easter. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Oh, don't, don't just go past that question. That's the ultimate question of life. Do you believe? Do you believe that he is the resurrection and the life? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. We see the fifth I am statement in this seventh miracle that's about to happen. He doesn't just control the resurrection and life. He is the resurrection and life. For just a moment, I want, to, I want you to imagine that he's not asking that question of Martha, but he's looking into our eyes and asking each one of us, do you believe in this? That he's the Messiah? That he's the resurrection and the life? Do you just believe that Jesus was some good guy along the way? Do you believe that he was just some historical figure? That doesn't save Believing in Jesus is trusting in him for everything. Trusting and following him all the days of your life. It's not a hollow acknowledgement. It's placing your life and all your hope in his hands. We'll come back to that. In verse 28, after she had heard this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside Mary, more contemplative, so she took her to a side. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but it was still at the place where Martha had met him. Jesus is waiting patiently outside the village. Verse 31, when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. She had a group of people around her. And I want to point out the importance of community at this point. She wasn't alone. And when something significant like this happens in your life, you don't need to be alone. I don't know how many times I've heard as I look across this room, I see those of you who've lost loved ones. And I've heard it over and over again. And I know, Robert, you have too. People have told you, I don't know what I would have done without my community group. You see, that's the structure of fellowship. We have community. It's a care network so that, that you don't just get lost. And so that you're not alone when these deep and tragic things happen in your life. She had a group around her who were with her and they weren't going to let her get out of their sight. 
They were going to take care of her. You know, we need people. I remember when my grandmother died. I was very close to my grandmother. And when she died, my grandfather didn't want to have anything to do with picking out a casket or any of that stuff. He just said, you do it. You do it. And my mother was worn out from taking care of him. And so I did all of that. And it was Easter weekend. And I was just, so much was going on. And the morning of her funeral, I finally got away from the crowd and I was able to go and I asked Mr. Garth to open the funeral home and I went in there and I just stood beside her casket and looked at her and I just wept. I just wept. I'd known for years that every time I hugged her and felt that old velour house coat she had against my cheek, I knew it might be the last time I would see her and I just wept. And there was a lady named Ferris. Ferris Patterson, who walked in there and she was an older lady and she was delivering flowers. And Ferris saw me there in that room by myself weeping. And she walked up behind me and she just put her arms around me and laid her head on my back. She never said a word. I can't tell you how much that meant to me. Just to feel that someone knew and that someone cared. Mary and Martha were not alone. And so when Mary in verse 32 reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. By falling at his feet, she confessed her worship of him. She wasn't angry at him. She confessed her faith and her worship. When we see Jesus, we won't be standing either, I don't think. And then Jesus said, he saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. And he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked, come and see Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He didn't plan it. I think it came on him unexpectedly. There was that groan and, 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 and the, the Greek indicates an, an anger, a frustration in this groan that he was troubled in it, and it expressed itself in tears that rolled down his face. He wasn't angry at them. He was angry at Satan's tyranny that caused death and caused us to have to experience that loss. And when he wept, he not only wept for them, he was weeping for you and for me every time we lose someone that we love. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept him from dying? There are always naysayers in the crowd. <laughs> There's always somebody. Don't cater to the critic. And so Jesus arrived at the tomb. Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. When we're traveling north in Israel, up toward Galilee, there is a place there on the side of the road. They were, you can see the highway there. They were building this highway and they found this first century tomb. That's what we imagine. It's, it's a, a, a little cave there and, and a stone rolled across it and they, they preserve it. And so just picture that in your mind as Jesus standing there before the tomb. And he comes to that tomb and he says, take away the stone. 
But Lord said, Martha, the sister of the dead man, but this time there's a bad odor for he's been there four days. Martha was the practical one. And the woman who spoke out, she said, it's going to stink. He's been in there four days. But you see, with Jesus, there is no stench of death ever. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. Picture all that. Picture Jesus stand before the tomb. See the horror on people's faces when he said, remove the stone. Hear the stone grinding against the entrance. It's a cave rolled away. And the next thing that they would hear is the voice of Jesus praying a prayer of anticipation. He wasn't asking the father to raise Lazarus. That was already taking place. Jesus looked up. He looked up. And said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing there that they may believe that you sent me. Already the bones and the flesh of Lazarus were being restored. The blood began to flow through his veins. His heart began to beat and his lungs began to fill with air. What once was dead was alive and his eyes opened and he realized he was a back. The, the, the soul spirit had re-entered his body. The stench of death was gone. He was alive. Verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Cut him loose. He's alive. And God was glorified. And indeed, all of them saw that Jesus was the resurrection and the life. What was the result? Look in verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and Martha had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But here's the pivotal point. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And then the chief priest and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. He knew when he went back to Judea that he was walking toward his own death. But he would rise again as well. You see, with Jesus, death does not have the final say. And so I go back to the question that he asked of Martha. Do you believe? Have you placed your hope and your trust in Jesus? Do you know that you know that you know? I want to give you the opportunity to this morning to pray and ask him to come into your heart in case you don't. If you're not sure, he gives you assurance that you can know his promises are sure. That's just who he is. And so would you bow with me? And I'm going to say some words and you repeat them after me. It's your heart speaking to the heart of God. And just ask him to come in. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart right now. I believe you died on the cross and rose again for me. I know I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. 
I ask you to forgive my sin. To cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I now accept you as my Savior. And I will follow you as my Lord. All the days of my life. Thank you for saving me. And I would encourage you, let this be a pivotal point in your life where things turn around, where you follow Jesus with all your heart. And then tell somebody the decision you've made. Don't keep it to yourself. Tell somebody who's with you or come tell one of us the prayer room this morning, the Easleys will be there waiting for you. You can tell them and let us help you get started with your new walk with Christ. Oh, thank you, Lord, for the hope of the resurrection we have in you. That it's good news that there is nothing terrible in death. For you step down into the grave before us and we have both peace and hope. At the end of his book, John said that there were also so many other things that Jesus did that if they were all written down, the world itself could not contain the books. And so I imagine another meeting between Lazarus and Jesus. There were 400 witnesses who saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. And I can't help but think that Lazarus was probably one of those. And what was that meeting like? 
when the resurrected man saw the resurrected Lord. Oh, there is so much hope in Jesus. Don't miss out. Tell others so they won't miss out either. Let's leave this place in hope. God bless you.